صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. Today, we're going to be talking about the Melbourne Queer Film Festival and the outrage that's been boiling for the past week or so uh, with respect to their programming and how they've, in fact, marginalised Palestinians and gone from a, a film festival that is a beacon of diversity, inclusion and arguably radical change for the queer community to a point where they're taking an orientalist position now and really making Palestine a second tier issue. It's blown up. I've got with me a dear friend, Lujain Horani. They are a writer, activist, arts worker, as well as Muhib Nabilsi, who is a writer, filmmaker and activist. Good morning, guys. Hi, thanks so much for having us. Hi, Nasser. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Muhib, and thanks, Lujain. So, Lujain, why don't you kick off? I know a couple of years ago we did have a crack at the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Nothing really eventuated it. But this year, we've got them on the back foot, I reckon. Yeah, so I'll, talk, I'll give a bit of context to what happened earlier this year, although Muhib is the one who threw the first stone, metaphorically. Earlier this year, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival put together a program in lieu of the cancelled 2020 festival due to COVID called MQFF Together. Uh, and in that program, there was not a single film from the from Africa or the Swana region. Uh, but there was, however, feature of Eitan Fox's new film, as well as a retrospective of all of their previous films. Uh, and for context, Eitan Fox is an Israeli director whose films have been criticized several times for their practice of pinkwashing. And so Muhib reached out to MQFF uh, and I believe the Brisbane Film Festival because they were both at, uh, at the time doing, had similar p- programs and asked them, brought to their attention what was happening, asked them for justification. They pushed back and justified their decision. Um, so then as an act of BDS, uh, we organized screenings in both Melbourne and Brisbane to counteract that program where we screened Dean Spade's film or documentary called Pinkwashing Exposed, Seattle Fights Back. Uh, we invited someone from MQFF and I believe the Brisbane Career Film Festival as well to attend these screenings. They did not, unsurprisingly. And with recent release of MQFF's 2021 program, they've done the same thing where they haven't programmed a single film from Swana, from the Swana region. And, but they have included The Swimmer, which is another Israeli film, uh, one that was funded by the Israeli Film Fund. And we've just been trying to, we have two asks. The first one being that they cancel the screening of The Swimmer, which is now looking unlikely. And the second ask being that the organization adopts a BDS policy moving forward from this point. Mohib, why don't you give us a, a bit of a rundown as to the background? I think Lejeune pretty much summed it 
up. One thing I do want to mention that just came to mind was in their most recent um, public statement in response to our campaign, MQFF state that this film, The Swimmer, doesn't portray the quote-unquote Israeli-Palestinian conflict as if that is a reason as to why it shouldn't be boycotted, which really demonstrates the fact that, one, they haven't listened to us at all or read any of the materials we've posted widely on what pinkwashing is. And two, it shows they haven't researched it, even in the slightest. If you look up a very simple definition of pinkwashing or read the 2011 New York Times article, which kind of, pub- kind of made it more widespread in the mainstream, you'll find that the very point of pinkwashing is to not portray the Israeli state's colonialism and occupation of Palestine. The point is to not portray that, thereby creating and focusing on LGBTQIA plus narratives that don't mention this at all, and therefore paper over all of the extensive human rights abuses against Palestinians, especially queer Palestinians. Lejane, you spoke about Swana, just in case our, our audience doesn't know, it's a decolonized term for Southwest Asia and North Africa. But also, let, let's define pinkwashing a bit better. The reality of the Israeli state, it's illegitimate in, in the way that it acts and deprives Palestinians of their rights to self-determination to return to their homes. It's in breach of so many UN resolutions. But it uses pinkwashing, greenwashing, to legitimise itself. Because what Israel craves is legitimacy. It wants to be a normal country. And so it says, we've got an active queer scene, you know, gays are welcome, uh, LGBTQI scene here is, you know, like nowhere else in the rest of the Arab world. And this whole um, mantra of making Israel normal is what pink washing is. And whilst the swimmer doesn't actually portray the conflict, it's the film is, the budget for the film is provided by the Israeli Foreign Affairs Ministry. They are sending this stuff out there, export Israel to make Israel look great. So it is a legitimate target for boycott, divestment and sanction. Lejeune, when you sent in your first concern and we had a bit of a Twitter storm going, they did respond and they said, well, here we go. We're going to put a a short Palestinian film and an Afghani film as well. Just a bit of um, Orientalism for us. Um, Yes. And uh, um, I just wanted to say really brief or quickly that the AS, the Afghani film, the Afghan film that was originally, was it was a part of the original program, but um, their response was, yes, there's no Palestinian films, but we've got this uh, film from, Af- from an Afghani point of view that is, uh, that speaks to, to queer Muslim narratives as though there's one homogenized w- queer Muslim narrative and that we weren't specifically asking for Palestinian representation. Um, I also wanted to add that the film Flee, the Afghan film, is co-presented by the Asylum Seeker Resource Center uh, and that for MQFF to talk about refugee rights in film while also completely disregarding Palestinian narratives feels like such a paradox. And for MQFF to say that, to justify that they have this Afghan film that speaks to refugee narratives and that that's covered is uh, quite frankly disrespectful when Palestinians are to this day being displaced and being made into refugees, both internally within Palestine and outside of Palestine by the Israeli occupation uh, every day. So 
it's very obvious that MQFF don't actually care about refugee rights when we have called for them to stand in solidarity with refugees from a bunch of different nationalities. I think this really does reveal um, a lot about MQFF and their motivations for um, including certain films and excluding others, um, given that they said, you know, in that statement, they said that, oh, we're showing Flea, this film about, from an Afghan perspective, when in fact, this film is made by a white Danish director. And, you know, the narrative that it shows of someone fleeing Afghanistan, a queer person fleeing Afghanistan, reinforces this narrative that Europe is the only, um, and the West are the only safe places for queer folks. And that with that combined with the kind of like lack of films actually from the Swana region and um, in the case of Afghanistan, Central Asia, really reinforces that, you know, that kind of lack of films from there combined with these like narratives that show travel to Europe, um, even though, of course, they may show some kind of uh, adversity in that and have some kind of criticism of European immigration states in Europe's um, immigration policies, but nonetheless, they still, films like that still reinforce, yeah, reinforce this idea. Mm, and I have been talking a lot lately about the POC narratives more broadly, but also specifically the Muslim ones um, that MQFF have been promoting over the past few years in their program, choose one of two avenues. Uh, the first one being either the model migrant story, which is uh, about how beneficial queer people of color are to the West. And the second option being that they're a person of color's hometown is not a safe place to be if they're queer. So the fact that we're only ever given these two options of what it means to be queer and a person of color reinforce a lot of uh, racial stereotypes of really unproductive and harmful racial stereotypes of what it means to be a person of color and to be queer and that intersection. We're talking today with Lejean Hurani as well as Muhib Nabilsi who are leading uh, together with a team of other Palestinians and supporters of Palestinian rights, uh, a campaign against the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. Congratulations guys again. Just a quick plug uh, to our listeners, those that know Yusuf uh, Rimawi, there's a fundraiser on Saturday the 27th of November in support of the Women's Centre of Silwan in Jerusalem, of course. The Avro Centre of Arab Culture is organising this event Saturday, the 27th of November in Port Melbourne. Come and enjoy live classical Arabic music, poem recitals, songs for Palestine, a beautiful sea view, a three-course meal. All of the above is in support of the women of Jerusalem. For information and bookings, call or text 0423 456 300. 0423-456-300. The details will be in the podcast. You can click on that. Muhib, I want to ask you, one of the things we've seen, I mean, the, the power of social media, the power of Palestinian queer folk and their friends and, you know, the connected intersectional community that's been created uh, of late is we've seen a couple of resignations. We've seen some movies being pulled. I mean, that really must hearten you as, a, as an activist, as a Palestinian. Yeah, it definitely does. You know, when I sent those first emails earlier this year, I had absolutely no idea that we would be here. And yeah, just to see the kind of 
acts of solidarity from people, whether it's filmmakers pulling their films, you know, two of the board members resigning and numerous other acts from like people refusing to attend. Um, I think MQFF, they now obviously have to take notice. You know, earlier this year, they dismissed it. You know, they sent me a dismissive response and that was it. Well, they thought that would be it, <laughs> um, but not the case. And, you know, this really, I think this is something that's going to be more widespread internationally as well, I think, in the coming coming years. I mean, we're reaching out internationally as well. There are a couple of queer film festivals who um, have signed up to BDS and enforce a cultural boycott of Israel already. And I think we can expect that number to grow if campaigns against these festivals who make the choice to show Israeli films and participate in pinkwashing, um, if they continue to do that, and if, if these campaigns, uh, anything like this one currently, then they're not going to have a choice but to listen, if not be completely dismantled. You know, like if, if they continue to push back against us like this, it's only going to be worse for them. It's just going to end up with their whole board having to resign. One of the things that really, uh, you know, upset me, and I'm sure, Lejeune, yourself, in the uh, MQFF statement following the, the Twitter storm, they spoke, everyone that raised the concern, be they queer or not, Palestinian or not, we all got lumped into this um, uh, colonialist pot called BDS supporters. Reaction from the community. Yeah, it's interesting. They, um, I think that specifically what was interesting was the distinction between BDS supporters versus community members. That's how they, that's how they uh, created this uh, binary in the statement itself, where they explicitly said, we have heard concerns from BDS supporters, but we want to listen to our community. And it's interesting that they haven't considered the fact that these people who support BDS, I mean, myself being one of them, um, that we are community mem members and uh, I can speak quite honestly and I'm very self-assured in saying that the majority of the people that have spoken out, Palestinian or otherwise, in support of BDS are queer community mem members specifically in the city of Melbourne. So I think MQFF are now failing to acknowledge the fact that what we asked for is actually us speaking on behalf of the community at large. Uh, and this separation between us and the community is obviously a tactic for them to defend themselves and for them to situate us as agitators as opposed to the demographic of the festival itself. So I saw on Twitter, I think maybe it was Janine out of Sydney, not Janine out of, that Queer Film Festival's Instagram page has got a friend who's, they've liked the page with an Israeli soldier standing on a bombed-out Palestinian car in full military garb. Mm. And their response to that was that, oh, we, um, we oftentimes just follow people without actually scrolling through and seeing who they are or what their backstories are. And if that's the case, that's fine. But I don't think then that they have the right to say that they are acting apolitically when there is nothing that can be done without political suggestion or political repercussion. Everything is political. Everything's political, particularly when it comes to human rights and in particular to, to Palestine, and especially when 
we've made it clear, the community, Palestinians have made it clear, whether it's the BNC from Palestine or activists in and around Australia, the Melbourne Queer Film Festival, they have been told, they've been put on notice as to what pinkwashing is, and particularly that as community members, not BDS supporters, community members of the Queer Film Festival, Melbourne Queer Film Festival people, that this is not, it's not okay. It's not okay for the Melbourne Queer Film Festival that is supposed to be this, you know, beacon of diversity, engagement, understanding, you know, what intersectionality is, to understand what colonialism is, to understand the challenges of people of colour, you know, the global majority, mm. and, and to sit down with or to create the opportunity for pinkwashing, to deny us legitimacy, to lump us all as BDS supporters and, you know, deny our agency. I mean, this is a level of, you know, cis white male supremacy you, you couldn't even imagine from mainstream society, let alone, you know, queer mm. society. And if I could expand on that briefly, um, Melbourne Queer Film Festival, as an organisation, as a festival, was formed in 1992 as an act of protest. It was a festival that was created because there was no representation in film for queer people and having said that, it also was the first festival in the Southern Hemisphere to use the word queer as an identifier as opposed to gay and lesbian. So, and at the time that was really radical because it, that, that's an identifier that very overtly references the intersections of marginalized identities. That's why the term queer was adopted. So the fact that that is what MQFF represented at its core uh, initially for them to now serve this white cis male gay but white cis male hegemony completely disrespects the founders of the festival and just goes against everything that community stands for mm. someone who's intersectionally unconnected to all of our struggles because none of us is free until we're all free to say that we're not included not only are we not included but we're bds supporters we're not queer yep. palestinian we're just bds supporters you know to to just bucket us in this and vilify us to such a degree really is, I mean, so hurtful. Muhib, you talked about taking the movement globally. Yeah, yeah. I saw a tweet from Remy Kinesi in the States. He was out a couple of years ago and did a tour with his poetry. I mean, he, he's got squillions of followers. So, I mean, we really must be getting out there. Yeah, um, I, I actually remember him uh, coming here and seeing him in a community hall here in Mianjin. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there are other people we've been in contact with internationally who similarly have who have similarly large um, public profiles um, who we're going to try and coordinate with, you know, just to build up because we're so much stronger together, right? Like, and especially with things with on social media, it's much easier to get it out if we have people all over the world sharing everyone's campaigns from whatever country it may be. So it's worth mentioning Queer Cinema for Palestine. They have organized a global film festival. And, you know, queer cinema for Palestine doesn't just mean queer cinema for Palestine. It means radical queer cinema for the liberation of all. And this is taking place, you know, in many cities across the world. Um, I'm looking at the poster for it now. Beirut, Belfast, Berlin, Bilbao, Brasilia, London in Canada, Montreal, Paris, Pristina, Seoul, Sofia, Tunis, Turin. I mean, that's a pretty huge, 13 cities across the world really shows that this is um, building as a global movement. 
And I think there's also real potential there for collaboration on protesting, you know, existing festivals. Um, so I'm really looking forward to reaching out with other Palestinians overseas and allies and, yeah, taking it to um, an international level. Fantastic. Again, we're joined by Lujain Hurani and Mohib Nabilsi, who are talking about the Melbourne Queer Festival and their disgusting stance on continuing to show Israeli films pinkwashing the occupation of all of Palestine. Again, listeners, Yusuf uh, Rimawi is hosting through the Avaros Centre of Arab Culture, a night in support of Women's Centre in Silwan in the Jerusalem area. It's a fundraiser next Saturday, the 27th of November in Port Melbourne. Come along, you can enjoy some live classical Arabic music, poem recital, songs for Palestine. There's a beautiful sea view, three-course meals, and all the, all the profits and money raised will go for, to the women of Jerusalem. For information and booking, call or text 0423-456-300, 0423-456-300. The details will be in the podcast. Lujane, I grew up in a time, you know, pre-social media, say 30 years ago when I was your age today. Our ability to connect to communities was really dependent on uh, photocopying a flyer, sticking it on a university wall or taping it to a, a power pole and hoping somebody might pick it up. Today, the reality with social media, you know, whether it's Twitter or WhatsApp, Instagram, is we're connecting faster than we've ever been able to. And we, we actually leverage some weight. I'm particularly um, excited by just how connected we are now with anti-Zionist Jews. Do you want to speak about those two points? Yeah, sure. I think I want to preface by saying that the for a couple of years now, there's been a slow build of solidarity from non-Palestinian communities. And a lot of that was granted to us because of social media, uh, where historically there was a, some kind of geographical divide and uh, communities can feel quite fragmented. And so this ability to just log on and find anti-Zionist Jews and for anti-Zionist Jews to be able to directly also find Palestinians to talk to, it means we've been able to organize and feel less isolated in our beliefs. Uh, I think that the emotional side of it is as important as the logistical one, where I felt up until recently that one of the primary strategies of the Israeli state is to make us feel that we are alone. So to isolate anti-Zionist Jews and make them feel as though they don't have a community and to isolate Palestinians and make us feel as well like our community is dying out. So for us to be able to connect and reinforce this struggle or reinforce the importance of this struggle is to me the greatest win of this new era of social media. And we'll hear, what about in Brisbane? How, how are things there? Obviously, it's much, the Palestinian community up here is very small. But, you know, a few of us are working really hard, particularly with Justice for Palestine, Mianjin. I had a pretty successful action at a Puma outlet here on the weekend. Yeah, one of the things that's really been really beautiful up here that I've experienced is the solidarity offered by First Nations people in so-called Australia towards us as Palestinians. There's just like this kind of immediate understanding and never a questioning of the legitimacy of our struggle. And like I recall earlier this year before like the big protest for Palestine, I got a message about First Nations activists who were making a massive Palestinian flag and kind of inviting me and my brother Jamel to join them. And we did. And it was this beautiful night, you know, of just, I mean, the flag was 
huge and I mean huge <laughs> so it took a long time but we had yeah just a beautiful night of kind of connecting and sharing stories and I think especially when Nayuka Gori Gunai Kornai Gundit Jamara uh, Wiradjuri and Yodi Yoda screenwriter and essayist who was on the board of MQFF when they found out about this Immediately, they resigned, issuing an incredibly staunch resignation letter. And so all these different like avenues of solidarity are really amazing. And honestly, that's it's what kind of keeps me going in a way. The last few days, I haven't really slept much. And But just all the acts of solidarity, every little one, every tweet I see of someone saying, I was going to go to MQFF, but now I'm not standing in solidarity with Palestinians. Each of those just gives me a little bit more energy, you know? as well as the way in which working on these kinds of campaigns also solidifies our community, you know, brings us closer together. And I think that's really important as well. It is indeed. And we, we, we should not underestimate the power of, you know, somebody like New Yorker Gori, their resignation letter was so very powerful, mentioning Palestine, mentioning the need for intersectionality and that the MQFF is on the wrong side of history now. And this sort of intersectionality and this sort of solidarity has been very, very hard to get for Palestinians along the journey because it's been so easy for the Zionists to dismiss us, to marginalise us, to really make it so hard to support the Palestinians. But we've always had friends within the uh, Indigenous community and in particular, brother, Uncle Gary Foley, who's the uh, winner of this year's Jerusalem Peace Prize. So make sure you go to apan.org.au, apan.org.au org.au and register for the Jerusalem Peace Prize. Gary Fowler is our winner. There'll be, um, it's a Zoom event, so you won't have to leave home, but we'd like you to dress up and pretend that you're leaving home uh, on the 30th of November this year. So the Jerusalem Peace Prize, the winner, Aboriginal activist, elder and superstar, Professor Gary Foley. Lujane, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Give them a couple of actions they can do to support Palestinians uh, from your, your point of view, and then Muhib will ask you the same question. Great question. Uh, in the context of MQFF, the main thing is that if you've bought tickets to MQFF, refund them. And when you do refund them, let them know why. And even if you haven't uh, bought tickets to any event, letting them know that you're a member of the community and that you don't support the festival as it, as it stands right now is extremely important. Outside of the context of MQFF, I just want to say that earlier this year during the Unity Intifada in May, I finally saw for the first time people who didn't have stakes in Palestine showing up for us and listening to us and carrying conversations on behalf of us in spaces where we didn't exist. And I want to see that keep happening because where we are today and the traction that's, that we've got right now in the context of MQFF could not have happened without what happened in May earlier this year. In terms of local action up here in Mianjin, Brisbane, getting involved in, I, people still have a kind of hesitancy to get involved in activism for Palestine, I feel, the grassroots level. You know, like coming to meetings of a local like, group like Justice for Palestine. And I think there are ways of, you know, just like I would recommend that people, we're going to welcome people if they want to come into those groups and do that work with us, you know. I really don't want people to feel like, you know, only certain people can come and be a part of that struggle or that they need to necessarily know everything about 
Palestine or yeah have some kind of personal stake yeah I would just I would just recommend like seeking out those kinds of groups in wherever you are and getting involved at whatever level you can in a continuous way as well I think that's what's really needed and I have seen more of it like Lejeune said more of it this year people who recognize the importance of the Palestinian struggle recognize its importance like for everyone and globally it's not not symbolically, not reducing it to a symbol or like an isolated kind of phenomenon, but recognizing that the amount of pushback that we receive when we resist is indicative of just how important it is, you know, and we're here in another settler colony and just rec- people are starting to recognize more and more that all the connection between all of these settler colonies and also the European imperial powers. A great way for us to finish, Mohib, and the reality today, it's never been easier to support Palestine. It's a broad church. The reality is Palestine's the domino. Everything, white power, white supremacism, colonialist mindset, it all exists. That pivot point is the occupation of the Palestinian people in their historic home. Infrastructure that's in place, whether it's facial recognition, whether it's Pegasus phone tap, all of the military industrial complex that exists within Israel and is a great exporter, all of that sits in Israel and is exported the world over. Police control systems, changing of international law to make things legal that are just beyond inhumane. Palestine is the domino. And from there, once that domino falls, we'll see so many other systems collapse beyond it. Lejeune Hurani, writer, activist, arts worker, and Mohib Nabilsi, who's a writer, filmmaker, and activist. Thanks so very much for all you guys do and for the great success you've had. Thanks for having us, Nasser. Thanks so much for talking to us today, Nasser. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, listeners. Be sure to tell your friends, share the podcast, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.